Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's ongoing conversation titled On Leadership. My name is Scott Miller and I serve as your host and interviewer each week. Each week, as you know by now, I talk about how this has become the world's fastest growing, most subscribed to leadership newsletter that you also can consume in a podcast format. Go to any of your favorite podcast platforms, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, visit us at franklincovey.com, subscribe to On Leadership comes out each Tuesday in a complimentary newsletter via email. We also feature a different thought leader each week, someone that might have significant fame and be a household name and others who are on the rise. And today is just that such day. I'm, invite, I'm delighted to invite what is now a friend of mine. We've had numerous conversations. I've interviewed her before. Her name is Marissa Orr, and she's joining us today to talk about her new book, Lean Out. Marissa, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you, thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Marissa, I wanna dive in. It's no secret that your book, Lean Out, was written a little bit on the the, the ideas and the fame of Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean Out, but you have a lot of original ideas, so I want to just kind of call out early on. I'm guessing that you wrote this book knowing that when it launches on June 11th of this year, there was probably going to be a lot of chatter about it, probably some positive and some critical. I'm guessing you didn't go into that naively. I didn't. I understood that this is a really a loaded topic for many people and partially it's why I wrote the book because I felt that this topic there's so much people can and aren't allowed to say and as a result there's a lot of women who don't get a voice in the national conversation about women at work. So Marissa you've had a great career before we get into the book let's talk about your time at uh, Google and Facebook take a minute or two and walk our listener or our viewer into kind of your journey, your experience professionally and personally about how you came to write the book and how your experiences at Facebook and Google instructed your view around Lean Out. Sure. So after college, I went to University of Florida where I got my master's degree in decision and information sciences. And then I moved to New York City. And I actually got the job at Google from Hot Jobs which those of you in the marketplace back then, remember it was Yahoo's job search engine. And I don't believe it even exists anymore. So I got the job at Google when I was just out of school. And I worked there for about 13 years. Now, when I started at Google, it was small. There was only 50 people in the New York office. Now it's about, I don't know, probably up to 8,000. So I really got to see the transformation of Google from a scrappy startup type place to a really big corporation. And I'm really grateful to have had that sort of front seat to watch a company transform in the way that Google did. And actually watching that transformation probably inspired some of my initial thoughts around this book because the nature of the organization and the way people work together really changed as we grew and got bigger. So give me some insight into how the how things change at companies when they grow so fast and they get to be so big. But I had a really great career at Google. I, I loved Google and a lot of the people there were like family to me. I really grew up there, key, sort of a key period in my life. And then about, thir so 13 years <laughs> into my time there, I got a call from Facebook and I started to talk to them. Until then, I really had never considered leaving Google. I was fairly happy there. 
But uh, Facebook seemed like a great opportunity for two reasons. One, it was small and growing. So there were lots more opportunities to work on exciting things and make a bigger impact. Google felt at that point a little bit too bureaucratic for, for my taste. And second, I had started this women's leadership series at Google. It was a side passion project. And I thought, what a better way, what a better place to expand on that than at Facebook. But Facebook, my experience there turned out to be very different than I had expected. It was completely opposite from Google in my personal experience. And it kind of forced me into this place where I've had to ask these heavy questions to myself, like, who am I and what do I want? The kind of questions you usually don't ask yourself until you're at the bottom. So I was very grateful for it because the answers were that I wanted to pursue this book full time and become a speaker on women's issues, which is um, fortunately what, what happened. So that's the high level summary in a nutshell. That's great. I mean, not too shabby that your two main resume items are Google and Facebook, right? So it gives you a solid platform. I have to tell you, the book is excellent and I had some credibility. I read a lot of books, right? I got thousands of reps on reading leadership books and business books. First of all, it's funny, which I think is refreshing and not sort of just throwaway funny, but it's witty and it's relatable and you're self-deprecating, you're very vulnerable. And to me, I found that very attractive. It made your voice, I think, all the more resonant. I, I think it's unique. You have a very unique writing style where every couple or three pages or so you sort of redact an outer thought when it should have been an inner thought. And I think it's really quite fresh. So I want to commend you on how well the book is written. I think our readers and our listeners and viewers will find it to be a very engaging and most importantly, sort of inspirational view about your counter argument to lean in. So let's talk about that. Before you do that, you've actually um, had an encounter with Cheryl before. Talk a little bit about your your um, admirable encounter with Cheryl, and what was the counter argument for why you chose to write Lean Out? So Cheryl Sandberg and I are actually from the same hometown, uh, North Miami Beach, Florida. Grew up probably half a mile apart, and went to the same schools and all that, and then both worked at Google and Facebook. But she's 10 years older than me, so we didn't know each other growing up, and she's, despite our parallel paths, our trajectories have been quite different. So we didn't know each other at Google either. But when I joined Facebook, I decided to reach out to her, which is a little bit uncharacteristic of me. But I, like I said, I had started this women's leadership program. And obviously, she is a big proponent of women and female empowerment. And she was sort of a little bit like a hero to me. And I guess that saying about you should never meet your heroes was kind of true in my case. I met with her my second week there before uh, during the sales conference in San Francisco. And she was actually lovely and gracious. And uh, it was a great meeting. She actually asked if I wouldn't mind being featured in her next book, which was option B on resilience. So in the moment, I thought that it couldn't have gone any better. But what happened subsequently was that meeting was what I, be I believe that meeting was interpreted as some political or or power move that upset some people and kind of set me up for a pretty bad experience uh, following that meeting. And I go into a lot of details about this in the prologue of the book because it's kind of a long layered story and it probably won't do it justice, but essentially my illusions were a little bit shattered in terms of what people say publicly 
in support of their agenda and then what happens in reality. Those two didn't quite match up for me at, at Facebook and I was disappointed. But in the end, like I said, it really served as the inspiration for me to get my voice out there and write this book. So, Marissa, you have a lot of uh, uh, an abundance of opinions in the book, right? You've been passionate about and practicing and teaching and leading leadership courses for women for the better part of a decade or more now. Talk a bit about some of the, the stereotypes and the premises around what's holding women back from fulfilling their careers that you kind of take um, issue with and challenge in the book. Yeah, and it'd probably be a good idea to start this answer with a little bit about how my premise is different from Lean In and, and books of that nature. So most books on modern feminism like Lean In, the premise is that, or really the, they pin the blame for the gender gap on women with prescriptions for success hinging on women acting more like men. And that, that sort of premise was initially what I took issue with. I've always been really passionate about helping women, but over the years attending all these female leadership programs and events, I became disenchanted with the message, which instead of listening to sort of the challenges and concerns of the women in the audience, we were essentially being lectured on how to behave more like our male colleagues. And frankly, I couldn't think of anything less empowering or less feminist than holding up men as the ideal or the benchmark to which we should aspire. So that was really the initial inspiration. I felt that we must be getting something wrong here. This, this can't be the answer for women at work. So lean out, the premise really pins the blame on our institutions, which haven't changed since the industrial age, a time where there were no women in the workforce. And since then, the entire economy has transformed as well as the composition of our workforce, but these structures underneath have remained exactly the same. So one of the questions I posed in the book is what makes more sense, rewiring women's personalities and behavior to conform to this outdated system or rewire the system to better meet the needs of a more diverse workforce. So those are really the two premises side by side and where stereotypes come in, a big part of lean in and again, conventional wisdom on the gender gap is that the reason that we don't have more female CEOs and corporate executives is because women are punished for violating a female stereotype. So if we act aggressive or assertive or bossy, we suffer a penalty for that. And then we end up muting our ambition as a result. But if you ask women, what are the reasons you don't want to be a corporate executive or CEO, they say things like, well, there's not enough benefit to me for the personal costs, or there's too much politics, or I wouldn't have the balance I need, or it just wouldn't be worth it. I mean, these are all really reasonable things. Do they, do they seem culturally conditioned? To me, they seem perfectly reasonable. So instead of sort of dismissing, you know, men and women a lot of times want different things from work. And instead of dismissing women's needs as a product of cultural oppression, I believe we should embrace them and take them seriously. You know, Marissa, I read an article about a week ago in the Wall Street Journal that talked about how 
in, in, in spite of you know, a, a global conversation around diversity and inclusion, around women in leadership roles, and, a, and really a heightened awareness at, I think, the C-suite in every company around the world, there hasn't been much progress or much movement made in terms of women in senior leadership positions, including and especially on boards of directors. The article called out specifically that boards haven't really changed that much in, in spite of the fact that there's a big raising consciousness. Even here at Franklin Covey here, our CEO and our chief people officer are very mindful of the balance and trying to intentionally promote more competent female leaders in the company. Why do you think there hasn't been that much progress made? I think a couple reasons. One is we're solving the wrong problem here. I, I, quotas just don't work and they actually work against a company and its culture and the well-being of its employees. I think part of it is we need to redefine success or how we uh, determine who's winning and who's successful. Because right now we define success on two metrics, money and power. That's the gender gap and the wage gap as far as female progress is concerned. But Measuring female progress in that way requires a lot of, a lot of times requires women to act against their own interests. So for example, a lot of women don't want to be on corporate boards. They just don't want to. If getting that position and working in that position requires you to do a job you don't necessarily want, work longer hours, um, suffer through more office politics, and reducing the quality of your life as a result. And can we really call this a win? You know, if women get the corner office and sit there sad and alone, I'm not sure we can really call that success. And another piece that I talk about in the book, which I think is related to your question, and that is we judge female ambition in a way that we never do with men. So less than 5% of the nursing, pop, the Five, less than 5% of nurses in this country are men. Do we ever sort of label that as a societal issue we need to fix? Do we ever encourage men to enter the healthcare profession in larger number? Uh, we just don't do that. We judge female ambition in a way we just don't do with men. I mean, is a CEO more important to society than a nurse? I don't think I don't think that it is. So there are a lot of problems with the way that we even approach this issue, and we set the bar for success. We define it through a male worldview and, and a male lens. Marissa, you and I have a similar leadership philosophy, which is that not everybody should or does aspire to be a leader of people. That it isn't a role for everyone. Not everyone is naturally called to that. We kind of uh, are lured into that because that's kind of the way organizations are set up. If you want to be promoted in a bigger title or more money, you have to lead people. In fact, you have a great story that was really quite um, visceral for you at Google. Share your story around the process of a promotion there and how it wasn't always aligned with what your passions were and the consequence. Yeah, so I think that we conflate the terms leader and manager or leader and corporate executive because a lot of women aspire to be leaders without necessarily being a corporate executive or a manager. There's many ways to lead people. And in fact, a managerial position, a lot of times managers aren't necessarily being leaders in, their, in those positions. They're just being 
managers and they're telling people what to do. I mean, you can look at Enron, right? Ken Lay was the CEO, was he a leader? And so we really have defined the term leader in terms of the upper echelons and the higher rungs of the ladder in corporate America, but there's many different ways to be a leader. So the personal example that you referenced, so at Google, they have a policy that in order to get past a certain level and be promoted past that level, you need to start managing a team. And then that team needs to grow um, over the years so that you can be promoted even higher up the ladder. Now for somebody like me, I, ne I never really aspire to be a manager. I'm really creative. I like to dig into the work and I love being a coach and a mentor. And in a lot of ways, that's a leadership position, but I was required to sort of sacrifice the meaningful aspects of my job, being creative and solving problems and getting into the work in order to be recognized and rewarded for that work. So part of what I say in the book, when I talk about the system being broken, it's the system of reward and motivation. Because once you get past a certain level in corporate America, about mid-management, once you get past a certain salary, the only reward left is power, more power over more people. But research shows that not everybody is motivated by that type of reward. So what ends up happening is that the people that are motivated to win and climb higher and higher, it's a small subset of the workforce. And those are the people that end up winning. And I mean, this is something, you know, everybody likes different things. This is something we learn in kindergarten and teach our kids, but at work, there's only one thing. So you're leaving a lot of your workforce unmotivated and sort of they don't have a chance from the beginning. So I think this, confusion or conflation of manager, executive, and leader is, is part of the problem. Marissa, in your book, you, you have, it's full of great stories. I mean, it's, it's a very engaging book, and you, it's not a diatribe against men. You, you don't, you know, blame male society only for the uh, challenges that women face. In fact, you put a lot of responsibility on other women. You, you refer to a concept I think you call Queen Bee, Talk to other women right now, and then we're going to talk to men in just a moment. Talk to women around what you think they should stop doing or start doing to be part of the solution and to help other women find their voice in the workforce. Yeah, I think the message is pretty universal, actually, which is to, and, and this is where Cap um, dovetails off the title of Lean Out, but it's really about leaning out of anyone else's story of who you should be and what your career should look like. And I think the first step in that is to do the internal work. What is it that I really want? Can the institution in which I work fulfill that need? And if it can't, how do I do that on my own? So you're really taking the control back as an individual. And to me, that's really the definition of empowerment. And the other thing is to stop using the external yardstick and definition of, of what success looks like. And one of the things I talk about in the book is reorienting around the metric of well-being instead of winning. Because that really allows people to define success on their own terms versus borrowing these sort of external titles and definitions that we've sort of legislated as the definition of success. And that's how we measure female progress. We don't all have to 
buy into that. And one of the things that I talk about, I dedicate a whole chapter to this in the book, I give a little bit of guidance in terms of, you know, five big emotional needs that everybody has. So it allows you to really turn inward and figure out how are my needs being met right now? What is my institution providing me? What aren't they? What can I ask for? So one quick example is you know, I didn't care about a title per se. I didn't want to be a manager, but I really wanted to be recognized for my hard work. And I really wanted money, frankly, and lots of compliments. So even just knowing that, okay, I'm motivated by money and compliments. It sounds ridiculous, but actually a lot of women have told me that they feel similarly. And there's, or, or there's nothing to be ashamed of with that. <laughs> what? I said, or humans, right? That's not unique to women. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But what is that Chris Rock, Chris Rock quote? Um, women need food, water, and compliments. <laughs> I, I love that one. It's true. Um, so anyway... You know, once I really was honest with myself about what it is that I wanted, I started to ask for those things in particular. And I could stand up for myself much better and say, you know what, I don't want to be a manager, so I don't want this promotion, but how can you compensate me in other ways? And here's what's meaningful to me. And I and so I would say is really getting honest with yourself about what is important to you and then representing that when you go to work asking for what you need versus what the system spits out as a predetermined success uh, or reward. Marissa, talk to the uh, male viewers and listeners in the audience that are in leadership roles that have influence over who's promoted in the company and helping people find their voice and influence. What advice, any practical advice you would give to men who want to be part of the solution? that don't naturally you know, want to be holding back or not promoting women. G give us some advice on some practical things that we can do different this afternoon that could help be part of the solution. It's really simple, actually. Just asking your team what it is they want, encouraging them to take the time to figure out what is it that motivates you? How do you work best? And then asking how you can contribute and help them get what they want and need. Instead of going into these conversations assuming everybody wants a promotion, everybody wants to move up, um, I would say to go in and really get to know your team and, and really understand what motivates them. So for me as a creative person, I really love to dig into projects and um, problems, but I get bored easily. So I wanna move on to the next problem pretty quickly. And that was uh, you know, something I knew about myself, but it was never sort of discussed with my managers. At the end of Google, I had one that was great about that. But really giving permission to your team to be honest about who they are and what they want, because ultimately helping them get what they need, even if it looks different than what you might want or need, will help you and your team be more productive. So your book stands alone. It's no con um, coincidence that you named it Leaned Out after Leaned In. If uh, Cheryl Sandberg reads your book, maybe you'll send her one. And by no means do you demonize her at all in the book, right? You speak quite charitably about her and, and, and her impact. What do you hope Cheryl and other women that are focused on the same outcome as you are, right? Which is helping women find their voice and find balance in their life and and become more confident in themselves and influential. What do you hope that Cheryl and other female leaders say, write, tweet, blog about your book? 
I don't think that, you know, women are so varied. I don't think that it really makes sense to have one woman represent all women. So I think that Cheryl's message is valid for women who aspire to those very powerful positions in the corporate world. So, I, you know, like you said, I don't demonize her. I think her message resonates for a subset of the population. Right. I think my voice and my message resonates for an entirely different population of women that haven't heard their voices represented in the mainstream conversation, that haven't had sort of anybody to look up to to say, yes, this person gets me and represents for women like me. So I think there's room for lots of different kinds of female leaders. And I would hope that Cheryl and other authors in this genre would sort of welcome the message because it does speak and resonate with um, a lot of women. So I think there's room for more than one voice, more than 10 voices. And I think the more women we have out there speaking their message, even if it's different, the more the better. Marissa, you're a mom to small children. Uh, you have a daughter, correct? I have uh, two boys and a girl. Two boys and a girl. Um, what advice do you give your daughter as a mother, as a professional mother, author, speaker, corporate leader? What advice do you give her and what suggestion would you give other mothers of daughters around helping them find their place at the table, whichever table that is? So my, it's funny because my daughter and I couldn't be more different. Actually, my, boy, my boys have more similar personalities to me. My daughter has no problem whatsoever finding her voice and taking a seat at the table. <laughs> and I love that about her. I, I, I joke with her, her name is Shelby, that I think in my head all the time, what would Shelby do? Because Shelby is a spitfire who says what she thinks and really has uh, no problem with that sort of thing where I have struggled over the years. So I look to her a lot of times <laughs> for inspiration and being sort of assertive and, and speaking my voice. Um, ultimately, my message with all my children is the same. And that is, I really try and create an environment where they can um, be themselves. And I know that sounds pretty cliche, but you know, I think this um, idea of, of living and working in these systems where people trust, where there's a lot of trust in the environment, allows people to be themselves and be their best selves, no matter, you know, what their skills uh, look like. And I think, you know, I talk a lot about that in the, in the book, too, which is um, a lot of our systems in corporate America don't provide environments where people can be themselves and it ends up just being sort of this phony game for power. And, you know, the message to me is the same at work, the same at home, be yourself. In many ways, Shelby is your muse, your inspiration, right? That's great. She really is. She really is. She, you know, she's the type of girl that will probably grow up to be a corporate CEO. And more power to her. I draw inspiration from it and everything in life is balanced. I hope she draws inspiration from me and some of the qualities that I have that are that are very different. And I think, you know, these um, different personality types, we balance each other out, but we don't always uh, treat it that way at work. We treat it more as a competition where 
everyone yeah, well has said. to win at someone else's expense. And just, you know, I don't believe that that's the best way to approach life and other people. So Marissa, your book comes out on June 11th. It's very excited. A lot of, got a lot of pre-launch press and some great endorsements. Talk about what's next for you. You're going to be out, obviously, giving speeches and giving keynotes. I'm sure there are some clients that are interested in the topic. How would someone find you? And kind of what is your sweet spot when you're out keynoting with organizations? Yeah, so the next six weeks until the book is officially released is all about getting the word out there with press and media and interviews. But at the same time, I'm now working with a speakers bureau called Big Speak because my true passion is really talking to people and getting out there. And it's something I did a lot when I was at Google. I'm really excited to get back to it. So I typically speak either on female leadership or creativity and innovation and that sort of thing. And people can find out more about that at marissaor.com. They can find the book at leanoutthebook.com. I'm on Twitter as Marissa two underscores, Marissa underscore underscore or, yes, we're considering <laughs> changing that so it's easier to say, um, but that's it for right now. And um, yeah, so I am focusing on the launch and getting out there. We have a, have a couple speaking engagements coming up. Um, and yeah, that's really what is gonna be my focus over the next couple of months. And we're doing a book tour in July. And that once we have the dates and the locations nailed down for that, that'll be on my website, marissaor.com. Marissa, great conversation, fascinating book, funny, witty, relevant for men and women. Thank you for joining us today on Leadership. Thanks so much, Scott. Great to be here. Great success to your book launch. And thank you everybody for joining us. And I encourage you to pick up the book and pre-order now out on June 11th. Great book for everybody in your team. Be a good discussion book, right? For a good book club, again, for men and women. Buy it for all of the younger women in your life as well to help them find their voice and figure out what their future looks like. Thanks for joining us today on Leadership, and we'll see you back next week with a new guest.